this is Mark Woods um, with another Page One podcast, and this week we have David Bauerlein with me. Um, David's one of those reporters I feel lucky to have in the newsroom. Um, I'm always kind of amused if there's a, on one of those rare occasions when somebody complains that something David wrote was uh, inaccurate or unfair, because everything I feel like you do is meticulous and fair, and... um, Usually that means somebody doesn't like a story, not that it's inaccurate or unfair. <laughs> We're lucky to have you. Thanks, Mark. Um, Much appreciated. And last week you wrote about the latest twist in the landing saga, which in a lot of weeks would have been maybe the news <laughs> of the week. Right. But that wasn't even the big news of the week. We had um, we had uh, two city council members, uh, Katrina Brown and Reggie Brown, indicted on fraud charges and sub- suspended by the governor. Um, but first I was going to maybe start with a... Uh, a bit of background for people listening about you. How long? How long have you been at the paper, and where did you come from? And right, so I've been here since 1998, and I moved here from uh, Beaumont, Texas, and worked in a few papers in Texas before making the move out here. Basically, I-10 straight from Beaumont straight to Jacksonville. Yeah, no news in Texas or Florida. Yeah, yeah. there's never anything going on in Texas. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, being here since 98. Now, yeah, you definitely have a. Uh, uh, you, you, there's there's folks in the newsroom with more seniority, definitely. We've got Sandy Strickland and Charlie Patton and others, uh, and uh, Matt Sorgel. But you're you're getting up there in seniority, and it's a great great news town. There's just no doubt about that. So every week, like you say, I mean, last week it's like, well, the Jacksonville landing, they're going to court, and then that got blown out of the water, so to speak, within hours with the uh, the announcement or the revelation that these indictments were being unsealed. So. There is never a dull moment, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, start. You, the reason I, we had several people, folks working on this, but I guess you were the obvious one because you've been covering the stuff involving Katrina Brown for a while. So, t- go give the backstory to what the story is behind that. You know, it's really been interesting because it's almost like uh, I've followed the arc of this story from the start. Because the first story I wrote was back in 2011. They had been approved by the city council for the... in city assistance is what it turned out to be. They had this $2.65 million Small Business Administration back loan. It really was a feel-good story. It was really couched as this small, plucky, homegrown company that had this barbecue sauce, which is great. I mean, it didn't (laughs) fail because the barbecue sauce wasn't good. It's fantastic. (laughs) And they were going to – they had all these plans and visions and that they were going to – sort of take this sauce and go nationwide with it. And they were going to, not just that, they were going to prepare smoked meats. They were going to prepare like peach cobbler and desserts. So they had this really big, big vision for what they were going to do. They had apparently at that point, you know, the the support of officials at the local level. Uh, The Small Business Administration was in there, you know, behind them. Mm -hmm. And so it was really at that point just all the glow of the possible, the idea that they could do this. Hmm. And then a couple of years later, I followed back up to see where things stood, and and they were starting to run into some troubles then. There were some delays in terms of getting the operation up and running. Uh, They got some, uh, the city cut them some slack, gave them some more time to do it. Uh, But there was this sense where it was kind of you know, maybe there was it wasn't really going to work out the way that maybe it was originally pitched, but they were still optimistic, confident. Um, and then uh, later, uh, Katrina Brown, of course, ran for city council, and so then uh, we, just part of the vetting of the candidates, you know, we saw that the company was delinquent on its property taxes, 
which is a technical default of the agreement with the mm-hmm. city. So there were some other warning signs. You know, they were late on loans. They were behind on property taxes. But they had this sort of optimistic note, again, because they had just landed this uh, this deal with Winn-Dixie, which was basically Winn-Dixie kind of gets some space on its shelf to locally made products, hmm. kind of a good neighbor type policy. So they were finally selling the sauce in a supermarket chain, whereas before they just had these big jugs, plastic jugs of sauce who were selling in Sam's. So you kind of said, well, okay, maybe they're starting to get some traction. Um, but really, there was a lot still going on. They were still behind on loans. Uh, they really were in deep trouble with their lender. And um, so basically then, as as uh, Katrina Brown got into office and some deadlines came up, the big one was to show that they had created 56 jobs mm-hmm. and they could not show they created a single new job. And that led to this unraveling in terms of the city agreement. There's a lot of lawsuits, a lot of warnings. Nothing got done. And uh, then it moved from the civil courts to the bankruptcy courts in terms of uh, her uh, family. And then lastly now, the criminal court in terms of the federal government saying, you know, that it wasn't just a business failure. There was uh, some fraud going on uh, in the operation itself. And that uh, they don't come out and say that's what contributed to it. Certainly that was a big part of the uh, – of what was going on at that company, according to the indictment right. that was unsealed last week. So, and explain how Reggie Brown figures into this then. Right. So what happened was, according to the federal indictment, Katrina Brown and Reggie Brown conspired to create a business. And that business was going to uh, sell products, purportedly to sell products and goods to the barbecue sauce manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. So there was a series of invoices that were produced, generated for this business, and then sent to the Small Business Administration, and uh, not Small Business Administration, excuse me, the bank that had the loan that was backed by the SBA. So mm-hmm. then uh, these uh, invoices then were used to release money. The bank saying, oh, you're, you're doing what you're required to do by the agreement, hmm. therefore we're gonna release more of this money, more of these draws, and uh, the federal government is saying that, in fact, those invoices were phony. They were fraudulent. They weren't for goods and services. They were basically just being used to conspire to extract these small business administration loan proceeds. And then those were then going into the uh, back into Brown's the barbecue sauce business in part and also to Reggie Brown in part. And then, um, so that that was kind of how he got involved with it. Now, the, the his attorneys were saying that basically he was doing something to help a company, that he didn't profit from this, that this was a, a way for him to assist in this, uh, the barbecue sauce business as it was getting its feet under itself. So that's going to be the real gist of the lawsuit or of the uh, criminal case. Was mm-hmm. it a case where fraud was taking place? Invoices were created. There were no goods and services that were actually produced. Hmm. And it was just a fiction used to get this money from the Small Business Administration loan. Or was he actually providing goods and services, Hmm. which is going to be what his defense would be in this. And really Katrina Brown's defense as well, that these were legitimate invoices. Right. And I saw her in your story, her attorney arguing that she barely made any money off this. That's the argument. And also that... 
he kept bringing up her age at the time, right, of the loan that she was – isn't that one of – he did bring that up, and that may be something they bring up in court, too. The idea that she was 30 years old at the time that all this began and that she didn't have a lot of background in business experience and that uh, she was basically overwhelmed, perhaps, by the uh, how hard it is or how difficult it was to get this business up and running. Hmm. Um, and, you know, there could be something to that, that the business just bit off more than it can chew. I mean, they basically were a small operation – making some barbecue sauce that was getting sold in area Sam stores. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, we're ready to go nationwide. So it was kind of like from a small mom and pop to, all right, mm-hmm. let's, uh, let, we're ready to go uh, uh, have our stock of these sauces so that they're just trucks are rolling them out, you know, and uh, bring them to sell them at these Walmart stores all over the place. Hmm. And you have had the sauce. I've had the sauce. It's very good. <laughs> very good. It's a mustard-based sauce, the one I had. Now, they had a few others, which I haven't tried, but the, the mustard-based sauce was one that her father sort of developed. He uses it at this barbecue restaurant uh, over on, the, uh, on Edgewood Avenue. And he's very well-known, I guess, from the guy who's cooking the the barbecue on the big uh, outdoor smoker at mm-hmm. various events and parties. So uh, that kind of was exposed a lot of people to the sauce as sure. well. Um, so during this, you know, going, so it's been, I guess, seven years you've been writing stories about this. Any, what does anything surprise you during that this run? Yeah, I think, you know, of course, there's always hindsight, right? But I think that in terms of the business itself, it was the surprising thing was that as it developed, they really did not have any customers locked in for all this sauce. Hmm. There was this idea that Walmart was going to ready, willing, just raring to go. And all they needed was some understanding or some proof that they could turn out the sauce fast enough to make the uh, orders that mm. Walmart presumably was just going to want coming in. It turned out there really was no Walmart order. There was no uh, there, there was nobody on the other side of the of the conveyor belt, so to speak, that was just ready to stock this stuff in stores all over the southeast, much less across the nation. So that was a surprise because that was basically the understanding when you read through the city council meetings the supporters were presenting that there was this all they had to do was flip the switch of this big uh, mass manufacturing production scale and away we go you know mm-hmm. there was uh you know don't worry about the uh the revenue side because it was all waiting that turned out not to be the case so then you had this business that was sort of burdened by all these costs had this really big building that they needed to pay debt on property taxes on insurance all those other things so they really buckled under that and it was surprising to me that uh that that kind of a gap between the perception and the reality could be so big because if someone said to the city um we have this agreement with walmart where they've agreed to consider us but we don't have anything locked in in terms of a minimum number of orders Mm -hmm. Well, you may have had a different answer from city council. Right. They may have said, you know, well, wait a second, you know, that's a lot of money that you're asking for, and should we really go make that big of a quantum leap in our expectations of how fast you're going to grow this business? Maybe start smaller and build your way up or that kind of thing. So you're saying city council is like Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> so that was that on the business side that was a surprise um on the uh the criminal indictment side um you know obviously the involvement of reggie brown uh, a surprise in terms of the uh having two city council members being indicted uh together in this um so that was uh you know that's two out of 19 city council members right. and uh and so that was really uh, uh local politics kind of an upheaval basically because you have two people you had reggie brown who was in the midst of running for state senate which had a kind of a lackluster campaign but he was looking to move on to other things uh katrina brown uh was looking to run for re-election so obviously both are extremely extremely difficult to do right now right uh, one thing i found interesting was the uh you, one of the stories, how you put it in kind of the historical perspective that here we are about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of consolidation and how that was sparked by this grand jury indictments of 11 public officials on 142 counts of bribery and larceny. And um, so that was one of the goals was to clean up local politics. And, you know, here we are in recent years, we've had Corinne Brown, we've had State Representative Reggie Fullwood, uh, Police Union Chief Nelson Kuba. Port Chair Tony Elson, and and there's more. Um, so, what what would, should we make of this? How you know? Obviously, consolidation didn't automatically clear corruption. Um, and I guess how corrupt is Jacksonville politics today? Right. So you can change the form of government, but you can't change human nature. That's for, for sure. You know, and that was the big impetus behind city consolidation. Was you know, it's it's tough to get that kind of a support for a real change in how you govern yourselves but they had this big headwind from all these indictments and it was this idea let's clean up the city a new form of government would be less susceptible to these kinds of uh these kinds of criminal outbreaks uh and there was uh the 60s were a really bad time my understanding the 80s there was a real a lot of corruption prosecutions going on uh, that then resulted in some recommendations to have an ethics commission, and that resulted in an ethics code. So, to some extent, consolidated city government helps. You have, you know, there's a number of people. They're all working for the same government, by and large, mm-hmm. in the county. You can reach them all with the same kind of training, which is supposed to be mandatory. So, you know, in that way, it's a good form of government in terms of how you kind of keep everything under one roof. But uh, even though it's not as bad as the 60s or the 80s, I guess we've had quite a few cases now in the past eight to 10 years. So right. it's troubling, that's yeah. for sure. And, and you had, it was interesting that there's actually organizations that rank just how corrupt is a state or, right. and w- where do we rank in Florida? And what, what, what did you find on that? Okay, so uh, there are some organizations that do that. And it's basically a very difficult thing to put a real precise figure sure. on. <laughs> it's not like, you know, average rainfall and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, so Florida, there was there's a group on Integrity Florida a few years ago. They used some figures from the U.S. Department of Justice and said, well, Florida was the most corrupt state in the country. And then a few years later, they did some revision and they're the third most corrupt. <laughs> and, you know, okay, so Florida also is one of the most populous states in the country. So... It doesn't necessarily maybe mean that Florida is that out of whack, other than it happens a lot, you know, for that many cases. I think they were so like 600 cases over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what's interesting, too, is that they say overwhelmingly those are local city and town officials. Hmm. 
which in a way maybe that doesn't uh, it shouldn't be all that surprising in the sense that there's probably a lot more officials at the local and town level when you add all all these small towns and sure. big towns throughout the whole state but what it tells me is that it can happen right in your backyard you know it's not just oh well there's corruption in dc, in, uh, DC yeah. but you know we can trust our local people and it can happen anywhere and uh, certainly has right um so looking ahead what does this mean for the the future of city council um you know we have vacancies in Two of the four districts representing Northwest Jacksonville. Right. How, how quickly will they be filled? Um, I guess will it be the governor filling them? Uh, will they? Do you think they'll be replaced? There are two Democrats. Will they be Democrats that they'll be replaced with? What are your thoughts on what's going to play out now? Yeah, the, those are all great questions. So the governor's asked for applications. So that tells me that there's not going to be an immediate decision. Uh, I don't know that there's a real deadline, but it sounds like they're going to ask for people to put their names into the hat. Uh, my guess is there's probably going to be some, should be, some review by the governor. You don't want to put people into those positions and discover, oops, you know, they have some skeletons in their, their past, too. Mm-hmm. So so I, my guess is it would be a few weeks, Mark, before they actually have somebody in those positions. Um, and uh, those are districts that have... Uh, clear majority of democrats in them so you would think that yes uh, you're likely to end up with another democratic office holder there to the extent that you're drawing from that pool of potential folks you know more likely there are democrats living in those districts right and it's possible too they you know maybe he goes outside the district and somebody moves into the district i mean but i think it's probably going to be a democrat in both of those districts and uh and then those replacements will serve kind of as the uh, replacement council members because Katrina Brown and Reggie Brown still will be council members. They've just been suspended. Hmm. And that suspension will take place until their cases are resolved. Obviously, uh, if there's convictions, uh, then that would end it right there. Uh, if they are able to uh, win acquittal or beat the cases, then they would get reinstated hmm. to the city council and they'd get back pay for the time that they were suspended. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's going to have some local repercussions. It'd be interesting to see. Obviously, you do you have to say whoever you put in those positions don't run the, in the next year's election? Just mm-hmm. You're there as a placeholder. And then we'll have an election in uh, next spring, and that's going to be who comes in and takes those for the next four years? Or do you say, okay, whoever I appoint, yeah, you can run if you want, which would kind of give that person an advantage without a doubt. So there might be some squawking from other candidates who have already been filed if it turns out that somebody else were to get the nod with the uh, – the ability then to run for re- for election to that seat as well. Right. Well, you and others will in the newsroom obviously <laughs> will have quite a bit to write about uh, in the coming months. Um, I was going to maybe end on something a little lighter. We had uh, one of our news editors post a photo on Twitter of a whiteboard in the newsroom where we had it had written. Yeah, days without an indictment of an elected official remind me of the Simpsons. Days without a you know, nuclear accident, and and they, in front of it, it had been changed to a zero. Uh, so, um, how long before we have our next one? <laughs> yeah, not exactly something you want a billboard uh, uh, coming into your town limits bragging about something like that. So, well, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, 
uh, if history is a guide, it would be about a year. So we'll see if maybe this is the end of this particular cycle. Right. Um, well, thanks so much to David Bauerwein for being part of Page One Podcast today. And if you want to check out David's story, they're all still on Jacksonville.com. And I'm sure there will be more coming in the months ahead. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. Thanks.